All right, y'all. I think we're going to go ahead and get started. I'm glad everyone's here. Um, thank y'all for being here tonight and putting time with the Lord top on your list. We all have to-do lists and things to do, places to be. But as y'all have heard me say, there is no time ever wasted in his presence. So that's what tonight's about. That's why I'm here. I am not here to hear myself, I'll be honest. I am here to hear from the Lord. And Mondays are special for me because I, I take time to listen to him, to pray to him, um, but also to receive from him that I might pour out um, to you. But what I pray is that it's not my words, it's his words. So we're all here for the same reason, hopefully, which is to hear from Jesus Christ and to encounter him in a way that will leave us different. So I'm just going to pray, and then we're just going to dive right in. Y'all cool with that? Heavenly Father, um, I just want to invite you in this place. I want to invite you to be all that you are. You are a God of uh, greatness. You are a God of love. You are a God of absolute, complete liberty. You are also a God of justice and truth and righteousness and perfection. And so I just invite you to be all that you are and to let nothing in our minds or our hearts limit who you are. God, I pray that you would remove whatever might um, take our mind down a track that would leave us distracted and hindered from hearing from your voice, Lord. Um, I pray that you would speak in power, that you would speak in, um, in ways that each of us individually need to hear. Um, God, I believe there's women in here that just need to hear you applaud them and remind them of what is true. Lord, I believe that there's women in here that need you to convict them and point them towards what is true because they may not know. And so, God, wherever we are, whoever we are, you know how to meet us in that, in that place. And that's what I'm trusting. That's what I'm relying upon, Lord, that you would communicate through me. Um, make me invisible, God. And you, through your word, bring about life change and freedom in a way that tonight would be unforgettable. In Jesus Christ's powerful name, amen. Um, <clears throat> so... For any of y'all that are history people, does anybody know what September 22nd, 1862 commemorates? <laughs> Allie, you're a history teacher. <laughs> so, okay, I didn't either, to be honest. So I had to go back and kind of research it too, but that was Emancipation Proclamation Day. September 22nd, 1862. What was the Emancipation Proclamation? What, who, what was it? Okay, ending slavery. So who was the president at that time? Abraham Lincoln, right? And he began, we all know that part. He began to realize that slavery across any level was inappropriate, right? And so he made a, you know, binding slavery. And, and making that condemned. Well, if you go to our church, we go to Passion City Church, our church instigated something called the End It Movement on February 23rd, 2014, 
where we kind of have a red X on our hand and we kind of create awareness around slavery because as great as slavery was in Abraham Lincoln's day, slavery has continued to go somewhat unchecked. Whether it's child labor, whether it's sex, you know, slavery, being held at your will, working for poor wages, whatever it is, slavery still exists. May not be allowable by law, but it still exists. And so I was, I was thinking about that and have all month as our church kind of prepared for um, championing, championing those that are enslaved. And so when I think of a word, last time we really were looking at endurance, and I was praying and I just felt like the Lord said, I want to capitalize on freedom tonight. And I want these women to experience true freedom. And sometimes to experience true freedom, you have to first admit where you have been enslaved. And that can be the painful part, right? We want the freedom part, but we don't necessarily want the journey to admit what has held me captive? What has held me in bondage to, you know, almost steal away from me the freedom God brought? So um, freedom is our word tonight. And we're going to be kind of looking at this. It's not really a series, but in Establish Her, um, we're just kind of taking apart words throughout Scripture. So this is freedom, and um, I want to define it before we move forward because I think I think a lot of us know in our mind what freedom is, but we also can misuse freedom. So this is the main word we're going to look at throughout basically Romans and Galatians and a little bit in Corinthians is this eleuthero, eleuthero, which literally means, and just listen to the words here, released from domination. So a, a, a liberty from something having power, having dominion over you. And the picture, even in this Greek word, is the idea of the emancipation, of the freedom of an actual slave, like a bound chain, like, you know, what was that movie, 12 Years a Slave type picture. Um, capable of unrestricted positive movement. It's pretty, pretty special. <laughs> Unbound, unchained in all regard. Um, and then exempt from will-based obligations. So keep this in mind as we talk about freedom tonight. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Um, I know y'all are kind of writing that down, but Romans, obviously written by Paul, talks a lot about our freedom, but it also talks a lot about our slavery. And so <clears throat> as we get to Romans 8, um, when y'all think of slavery, does anything come to your mind personally? Like, when you read this definition, and this is the opposite of slavery, right? You read this idea of, man, I've been released from domination. I've been released from things having power of me. I'm capable of unrestricted movement. Do you feel that way? Do you live that way? Do you believe that way? Um, because I know for me, when I think of slavery sometimes, it's easy for me to, to literally think of slaves or to literally write a red X on my hand and champion those who are in the sex industry and slaves there. But 
spiritually we can be slaves too. And so the Lord had to kind of somewhat go inward on me a little bit and say, Sarah, the idea of freedom isn't just American. It isn't just political. It isn't just all these big things, though it is, and those are great pictures of freedom. It's very internal. It's a very real posture thing. And you either know that you're living free or you're not. A slave cannot live free. Would y'all agree? If you are enslaved, you are not free, correct? If you're free, you're not a slave. They're oil and water. They cannot go together. So as I was thinking and praying, I'm like, well, Lord, what's interesting is I know enough about your word to know, and we're going to look at some of these passages, that Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Has set us free. What, What verb tense is that? past tense okay he has already bought and purchased freedom but I also know enough people to know that I don't see visible freedom all the time do you do you feel freedom all the time probably not so does the Word of God lie no it doesn't contradict itself and it's it makes a statement it makes a strong statement it is for freedom he uses the word twice it is for freedom that Christ has set you. So then I was like, well, man, what is it? What is it that keeps us from living in the posture he already bought us to have? Um, so Romans 8 kind of dives into this a little bit. And we're going to be all over the place. So y'all just get ready to track with me. Romans 8, we'll start in verse 1. And then I'm just going to read these first three verses here. Um, Because this is where we pull our first definition from, Eleuthera. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So a free woman is not going to condemn herself. Do you condemn yourself? Stop it if you do. A free woman doesn't do that because Jesus said there is therefore no condemnation. There is no shame. There is no guilt over those who are in Christ Jesus and set free. Verse 2 For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free, past or present tense, past tense, from the law of sin and death. So two laws were exchanged. He set us free from one law, but there's another law in play. We're going to talk about that. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of you and I, sinful flesh, as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. He enslaved sin in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled where? In us. Not just around us, not just out here. In us. Who, he's kind of categorizing now who that us is, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those of us who walk according to the Spirit, Jesus has fulfilled the requirement of the law that once held us slaves. 
And so as we get into this, what's interesting is that the cross, the, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus did multiple things. It, it, it did actually defeat Satan. It did actually render sin powerless. It did actually lose death, sting, right? Death, where is your sting? Where, you know, where is your victory? And yet, when I think and talk, why don't I see more people living free? Living in the freedom that this promises and states we have. And it's, it's for years, y'all, this is not just a today I studied this thing. This has always bothered me because I felt like, well, if this doesn't contradict itself and this is true, which it is, and people are crazy fickle, and especially women, what, Lord, what is the, what's the missing link here? If you promised us freedom and you purchased it, why aren't we living in it? Why are we putting ourselves again under the yoke of slavery, whatever your slavery is? And we'll get, kind of get into that a little bit later tonight. Um, so I just wrote down, his death on the cross set us free, past tense, from the law of sin and the fear of death. Satan is defeated, present tense. Sin is overwhelmed, present tense. Self is destroyed, and death no longer has its sting. So where is the disconnect? Um, turn with me real quick to Galatians 5.1. This is uh, the verse that I was quoting, but I want to read a couple verses after it. Galatians 5.1. You might want to hold your marker in Romans because we'll be back over there a lot. It was for freedom, noun. Freedom is a noun there. It's a big subject. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore... Keep standing firm. So maybe he's going to clue us into this little secret that I think is missing. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. Okay, so Kirsten, what does therefore mean? I can ask you this because you were at Passion Seminary Labs. We talked about this. Yes. Something has, something has to happen for the next thing to occur. Right. So, the, so exactly. Exactly. So the therefore is like a massive climax in that sentence saying, based on what I just said, therefore. So this is your reason, A. Now I want you to do B because A's already been done. Okay, so what's already been done? What's A? What, what's before, therefore? Put it in your own words. Rephrase it. Okay? He set us free. There is no questioning, y'all. There is no if. There is no maybe. He died to set us free. He rose again bodily to do that. That is for real. That is not in question. Your freedom is available tonight. Like for every single one of us, if you're in Christ. That's big key to that. Okay, so if you're free, and I'm going to assume that you're in Christ, so you are free, what is your part? What is the B that follows therefore? It's twofold. Stand firm. It's interesting. I would circle that. But, but how is the verb written? 
Does it say stand firm? Okay, standing. Y'all remember this, ing words? They're, they're ongoing verbs. It's not just a, hey, Christ set you free, so stand firm. Notice it does not say that Christ is setting you free. It says that Christ set you free. And based on one action in time, you're to keep doing a certain action. Keep standing firm because he has set you free. Not standing firm to get free. That's a big difference. You're standing firm and you're continuing to stand firm. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means. Because you're free. Y'all, that's huge. It's like the idea of fighting from victory, not for it. You're standing firm in freedom because he has set you already free, not standing firm in order to, to claim your freedom. Does that make sense? That's the first part, but there's a second part of that. And this is kind of how he tells us to stand firm. What's the second thing you got to do? Okay. So what does that mean? Let's put it in our words. You know, let's use common day language. Keep standing firm. And don't what? Don't allow it. Uh-huh. Don't, yeah, don't be weighed down. Don't let anything enslave you. Period. It's, it's kind of not rocket science, right? Don't let it. That's kind of what that's saying. It's not, hey, go into a battle and fight for your freedom. You know, go, in, engage when that thing comes your way and fight for it and claim Christ over that, exhausted and then experience freedom. No, it's saying Christ set you free, believe that, receive that, now keep standing firm because what's going to happen? Well, it's called the world. The world happens. It's called the flesh. The flesh happens. We're going to get into that. Sin happens. None of us in here are sinless. And we're going to get into, well, then how is sin powerless? Because it is. Um, self happens, which I would venture to say is a big one. Um, just your own will and religion, all this kind of stuff happens. So there is a necessity to continue to stand firm in your freedom, not for it. And the way you stand firm is you just simply not, do not let anything take you captive. Nothing. So that's a pretty tall order. And apart from the Spirit of God, which if you have a title in your Bible, this whole section is obviously the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. It's all about the empowerment of walking by the Spirit. Galatians 5.1 is impossible if you are not Number one, a true believer. And number two, filled with the Spirit of God that enables you to stand firm. And what we're going to see is, y'all, when the Spirit of God is in you, what's interesting is that true freedom looks like a binding to Him. True freedom is you're actually a, what they call in the New Testament, a bond slave a doulos, which is the Greek word, D-O-U-L-O-U-S. 
true freedom is not just this run amok, do whatever you want, you're not accountable to anything. No, no, no. Remember, one law was changed for another law. The law of the spirit of life came in and set you free from the law of sin and death. So I think that's where sometimes we get confused that freedom, oh yeah, I'm free in Christ. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And ask God to bless it and pray and do all the little right things and yeah, but I'm free. Okay, that person does not understand true freedom because true freedom is accountable and connected to the Spirit of God and actually empowered by Him and linked to Him to where you don't have a will of your own in that sense. He has taken over and has set you free and that's the greatest master, if I can use that phrase you could ever have, would be Him. He is not enslaving as a master, but it doesn't mean you don't have a master. It doesn't mean you don't have a Lord when you're free. Um, flip over one page to Galatians 4. This is an interesting analogy here that Paul's going to make. Um, let's start... Let's start in verse 4. But for when the fullness of things came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, just like me and you. That same law that was mentioned in Romans. Verse 5. In order that he might redeem, kind of same language as free, those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as what? Sons. We can put in daughters here. It's it's easier to do that way. Because you are sons or daughters, because God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart to cry, Abba, Father. Therefore, y'all, this is key. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. So right there, tell me kind of off the cuff, what is the difference between a slave and a son? What do you think makes a slave different than a son? Just in general. What now? Des describe that. Mm-hmm. What else? Is which one? I mean, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, it's not you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so qualities of a slave would then be. Yeah, maybe uncertainty. I'm, I'm not sure where I stand with my master, right? You screw up, you're out type of thing. It's a performance-based deal. You're there for a job and you don't do a good job. I'm sorry. You're, you're not, someone said inheritance. You don't have inheritance as a slave. You have inheritance as a son, but not as a slave. So some qualities then of a slave versus qualities of a son. What else comes to your mind? Right. Other than maybe wages in some case. Some slaves don't even get paid. 
but maybe they do. So again, it's very works oriented. It's very, hey, you do this, I'll pay you. You don't do that, I withhold from you. Wages, and it's just, you are the peon of the peon. You're cleaning toilets and that's what you're supposed to do in period. And there's no connection, much less intimacy, right? Between a master in that regard and a slave. So then, just, so then contrast that with a son. Okay. Can sons still work? Right? So sons can still have a role. Sons can still, I mean, think about like chores, right? I think about our little son. Like, he, he's, he's going to pull his weight, you know? But at the same time, he's my son. He, he comes with me. I come with him. He is part of me. So he doesn't earn his keep by his work, but he may have work to, to play. He may have a job or a role to do. But there is a connection that he didn't do anything to get. Nothing. Now, this little boy better help me to get himself out. But other than that, he didn't choose to be born. I mean, he, he did not conceive himself. Does that make sense? So he, he is just coming into the world by the providence and the sovereignty of God. A slave, you know, has been put under something and does not receive anything in return except maybe punishment. Um, a son has been brought into something out of his own control and receives everything just because he's a son. Anything else come to your mind quality-wise that are different? Okay. Yeah, access maybe even to the master, to, to the father. So that's kind of why he's saying here, basically, you're, you've been given access through the Holy Spirit to call me what? Father, not master. And again, I think when we get into this, there, there are some people that I would say would cheapen that and would use that access for their own gain, meaning... They think that liberty can actually manipulate God. Meaning, I don't have a master. I'm no longer a slave. You don't tell me what to do. I cry, Abba, Father, because you love me unconditionally, and I can do whatever I want, and you're going to forgive me. And that's kind of the end of the story. Y'all, that is not a true understanding of the freedom I'm talking about. I want us to be careful that we don't get lost in blanketing our life and our decisions under the freedom of Christ to get us to do what we want to do. So there is still a, what do I want to say, an accountability, I guess, is the word, between the Abba Father and the Son. It's not a works-based thing between a master and a slave, but it's also not just Man, you can do whatever you please. No, you can't. Because you're bearing the name of who? Your father. You're bearing the name of not just your father, but the God of the world, the perfect righteous one who branded, like seared his name on you. And so there is still an accountability there and not a licentiousness, not a just a, I mean, I can do whatever I want because I'm a son and I'm a king's kid and who cares, you know? There are people that believe that.
And frankly, they're people that live like that. And they make a mess of their life. And they're claiming Jesus all along. And it's, it's false freedom. They are actually so enslaved. You can smell it. So I love that. The word access is very much in the context here. You have access. You have been grafted in. You've been adopted. You get everything I have. And yet there's still a role to play. Anything else come to your mind? Slaves versus sons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that word, the permanency, of course. And that's why that we won't go into this tonight, but there's countless scriptures that obviously indicate you cannot lose your salvation based on your behavior. Why? Because you didn't gain your salvation based on your behavior. But do you live like that? Because some people live like they gained their salvation based on their behavior. And so all of a sudden, man, I did screw up. And instead of a true repentance heart that says, Lord, I remember what you did on the cross. You defeated sin. Sin had no power over me. I stepped out of who I was when I did that. That was displeasing to you. And I confess it and I receive your forgiveness. Instead of doing that, they grovel. And they go, well, man, I'm just going to go to church like eight times. And I, I'm, I'm going to go to establish her, and I'm going I'm to I'm make it right, right? And you get into that, I owe God back. Who is, who is talking? Is that a slave or a son? That's a slave. You see how that mentality all of a sudden changes, and you go, I can't be a son. I don't feel like a son. You know, I just screwed up. You know, think about Luke, right, the prodigal son. Go read that story again. And read it from the mindset of a slave versus a son. That son lived like a slave. He put himself under that yoke, squandered everything he was given, all of his inheritance, and his initial thought, right, and justified, was, man, why would my dad ever take me back? Because I don't deserve it. Okay, that is true. But what the power of that story is, is, y'all, it's less about that son and more about the father. Really opinion, not so much the prodigal son as it is the accepting father. Because the father says, I know what you did. But you see, you didn't do anything to gain what I had given you because it was all me. It's always been me. And frankly, because of I be being your father, you can't do anything to lose what I've given you. It's a picture, really, of the unconditional love and salvation of a father to a son. Um, and at the same time, is there discipline for a son? Absolutely. There is punishment for a slave. There is discipline for a son. Those are different things. And if you don't understand the character of God, you will feel that he is disciplining, disciplining you like punishment. And you've missed his heart. Because he does not punish his sons and daughters. He disciplines them. And if you're not disciplined by the father, I think you ought to be scared. Because you may not be a real son. He does not discipline people who are not his kids. He died for the sins of the whole world. Salvation is available, accessible. It's not for a favored group. But he does not discipline everybody. 
And there have been times in my life where honestly, yeah, discipline hurts for sure. But deep down, I was so grateful because I said, Lord, you're disciplining me because I'm your daughter. I am securely your daughter. And man, I have royally done something against your way, against your will. And I can't lose my daughtership. And it's blowing my mind. And at the same time, I can't squander it and just run amok. You are a good, good father who says, hey, I'm going to rein you back in. I'm going to spank you a little bit. Pop you on your bottom a little bit. Get your attention in my love and remind you of who you are. The son doesn't act like that. Sarah, daughter doesn't act like that. And he brings you right back in. If you don't have that kind of relationship with the Lord, I would, I would say that you should pray for it. Ask him to discipline you. It says in Hebrews, I think it's in Hebrews 12 towards the end, that he disciplines those he loves. And I remember my brother, it's hilarious, I think he was probably six or seven, and asked Seth about this story. And um, he was memorizing some scripture at school, but he had done something. <laughs> he had blown up an anthill. And him and Rob, our little neighbor, and my parents had told him distinctly, do not play with fire, do not play with matches. This is what I have to look forward to. It's awesome. I didn't blew up this anthill, and, you know, it wasn't that, but it was the fact that he disobeyed what my parents told him to do. So he comes inside, and he was repentant. I mean, he knew it. He, he, Rob kind of instigated it. It was always the neighbor, you know, and he was like, you ought to do this, Seth. So Seth did it. And Seth comes back inside, and he's like, man, like, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Like, I, my parents clearly told me not to do this. And so he comes in, and it was so cute. So he was like six, so I would have been like 10. And um, I was a bit self-righteous then. So I'm standing there like, you know, you are going to get in so much trouble. And, um, and he said, yeah. He said, but you know what? God disciplines those he loves. And I'm like... <laughs> wait what and my dad comes out and I mean my dad had to spank him for, to be a good daddy knowing his son was repentant he still had to follow through with the discipline not the punishment but the discipline and so my dad heard that and he's like Seth you know is that a verse you're memorizing at school or something and um and then he went on to say well yeah dad and it says that you know discipline isn't um you know pleasurable in the moment but it, it produces, you know, the fruit of righteousness or something. And he just, like, goes off on this verse. And my dad's like, it totally does, you know. Head to the bathroom. Like, <laughs> you're not getting out of this. But the point was that it's not enjoyable in the moment, but it produces something. And there was this sweetness and this repentance in his heart. But as a good, good father, my dad still had to follow through with his discipline. Otherwise, he would not have loved my brother well. Yeah. Yes, yes. And that, because that's the other part of the verse. So uh, totally, yeah, he can tell the story way better than I can. So it was like Rob is like so, totally stupid because um, he was the guy that did it. But he just, it was so sweet, and I've never forgotten that. And I was like, wow, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's another verse. You know, the idea that you don't discipline children, 
you are creating a monster. So why would we think it's any different spiritually? The father, Abba Father, is a good father who disciplines his sons, not punishes them. And when you approach the Lord, do it reverently, because he is God. But you don't have to fear or grovel back into his company. He might discipline you, and I hope he does, and it's because he loves you. But you don't have to have condemnation and guilt and earn your standing. Sons don't have to do that. Um, so, to be fully free, one must first recognize they are not. When we are living in bondage, it is not because freedom isn't available. It's because it's not believed, received, or because it's misconceived. So you see, bondage is something that you put yourself back under if you are a believer. And freedom isn't just partially available for some people. It is available for all of you. It's available for me right now in this very moment because Christ set us free with his life. But I don't know, and only you know, if you are walking truly in this type of freedom, unrestricted movement, unfettered, exempt and set free from your little religious obligations that you feel like you put yourself under, released from dominion. Does anything have dominion over you other than Jesus? If it does, then you're not living free. So it's not that freedom isn't available. It's that you've put yourself back under bondage because you either don't believe freedom, you haven't received freedom, or you've misunderstood it. You've misdefined it. And honestly, I think that's where a lot of people sit. Um, is, is, a, is a misconstruing, a misconceiving of what freedom is. Um, so we're going to kind of get into this a little bit. And I want to read, um, this is deep. Okay, it's John Piper, but just track with me here for a second. This is how he explains this true biblical freedom, okay? You are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you without regrets and enable you to unrestrictedly glorify God. If you don't have the desire to do a thing, you're not fully free to do it. You may muster the willpower to do what you don't want to do, but nobody calls that full freedom. And if you have the, the desire to do something, but no ability, then you're not free to do it. You can have the desire and you can have the ability, but if you have no opportunity to do it, then you're not fully free. If you have the desire to do something, the ability to do it, the opportunity is available, but it destroys you in the end and doesn't give God glory, you are that last line live is an understanding at a base level of yep I'm a Christian God died for my sins you know I've placed my forgiveness in him and I go about my life and I live kind of how I want ask him to bless what I do he leads me to different places I have a community and little Bible studies or whatever and it's just kind of that's it and you have the desire to do something you have the ability to do it you have the opportunity to do it and you do it and the very thing you're doing is destroying you. 
destroying your witness, destroying who Jesus' name is, because it doesn't coincide with what his word says. You're living completely opposite of what this says, because maybe you don't know what this says. Then you're not fully free. You see, you have to have the entire equation to be fully free. The desire to do something, the ability to do it, the opportunity to do it, and whatever that it is has to leave you undestroyed, no regrets, and God completely glorified. And if you can say yes to all that, y'all, you are living free indeed. And that can be your and my um, measuring stick. When an opportunity comes your way, when a temptation comes your way, when a, a borderline, when something that maybe seems to you is gray, I don't know. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I don't know if I really feel like it has power over me. Whatever the scenario is, okay, do I have a desire to step into this? Do I have the ability to step into this? Do I have an opportunity to? Would it destroy me? Would it not glorify him? If I could say yes to all that, then I'm free and I know what to do. If I have to say no to one of those things, then don't do it. It's not a free scenario. Does that make sense? John Piper is amazing. Um, so, what have we been freed from? We're going to list about six things, and I'm just going to list them first so y'all can just write them all down. They're all going to start with S. And then we're going to go back, and I'm going to give you some verses for each of these six things, because I really want to take some of these apart, and then I want to give y'all, not homework, but, but where I got this from, so that you can go back and really look into this. So the six things, these are obviously not limited to the six, but these are just kind of what I came up with with my study. Six things we have already been freed, past tense, from. Number one, systems. So anything, religion, law, you name it. Christianity might be a system to you. However you do that, that is not Christianity in the way I, I believe. Well, you've been set free, set free from law. We already have seen that in a lot of verses. Galatians 5, 1 through 3, Romans 6, 6 through 22. Um, number two, sin. You have actually been freed from sin. This is a huge one because none of you are perfect. You still sin. So there we are again. Okay, does the Bible lie? No. If I'm freed from sin, why do I sin? Because I do. We're going to talk about that. Romans 8, 1 through 4. <clears throat> Romans 6 actually gets into that too. Really, Romans 7. Just put down the book of Romans. Um, <laughs> number three, self. This is huge for some of you type A people. Me included. We have been freed from ourself. That's like hallelujah. Second Chronicles 14. Write down that story, King Asa. We won't have time to go into tonight. I'll try to give you a synopsis when we get there. But it is a powerful story of self and how not to trust in yourself and that we've been freed from ever having to do that. Romans 9, 16, still under this one. Jeremiah 10, 13, and Zechariah 4, 6, all under the, the reality of being freed from yourself. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 10, 13, Zechariah 4, 6, and Romans 9, 16. Number four, we've been freed from Satan, y'all. 
he runs around. He's got some, some loose power here. Scripture makes that clear. He hasn't been completely annihilated yet. He will be. But he's on a leash. He is not freely reigning here. There will come a day where he will, depending on what you believe at the end of times. He will have a season where he will have no, no barrier. By God's grace, I hope I'm not here for that. But we have been freed from the power of Satan in our lives. A lot of verses here. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. John 12, 31. Revelation 12, 11. Romans 16, 20. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Number 5, we've been freed from the system of the world. So the first system was honestly a religious system, a law system. This one, y'all, we have been freed from the system of the world. You live here long enough, and especially in Atlanta, you will begin to feel the pull of the culture. And you either give in to that and live as a slave, though you're actually a son, slavery, because you're living in the pull of the culture, or you recognize what the scripture says and says, you know what, this, this book, this divine, alive word breathed of God informs my worldview. And I step out into the world already full, already informed because of this, not pulled every which direction based on what the system of the world is doing. We have been set free from that. Be awesome if Christians actually live that way. Galatians 1.4, Galatians 6.14, Romans chapter 1, freed from the system of the world and how they do things. And lastly, clearly, we have been freed from the sting of death and hell. So there will come a day, unless Jesus comes back, which is a good chance I think he could in, in our lifetime. If he doesn't, we will all die. But the, the sting of death uh, for us has been lost if we are in Christ. Paul says, absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord immediately. So this, this casing is going gonna, is gonna to pass away at some point um, if he doesn't come back first. But for us as a believer, that really isn't death. It's entrance. Death for a believer is entrance. It's actually entering into what we were always born for. We were not made for down here. And there are days, y'all, where I, I feel that. There are days where I love it down here. And it's addicting. And it's easy. And it's, it kind of feels like, man, I was made for down here. You're not. And I think needing the Lord and some pain and some disciplines are allowed to remind us, hey, hey, where's your passport? Where's your citizenship? What's your license really say as a believer? You are not home here. Don't get too comfortable because you've been freed from this place and death is nothing to fear for those of us in Christ because we're not really going to die. So therefore the sting is gone. Those we leave behind stings more because that's, that's a vacancy they feel. We feel a fullness if you're in Christ. Bless you. Um, so those are the six things. So let's just pop through these really quickly um, because I think some of these six things are going to resonate with different 
difference of you in different ways. Some of you are still enslaved to one of these six things. And maybe you have tendencies. I think we all kind of do. Um, I know a perfectionistic type person. I can lean to number one pretty quickly. I can put myself again subject to writing 10 pages in my journal, praying this long, you know, just doing my little system of things. And if I don't do my system, then I don't feel like God is happy. And that's just ridiculous. It's completely debunked in scripture. Um, so depending on where you fall in these things, I just want you to pray that God would truly set you free. Like, do what he already did, but get you to believe it. Does that make sense? Um, I want to spend some time on number two, though, because I think this is where we can get kind of crazy, um, is that we have been freed from sin. So how does that work? If we've been freed from sin and we still sin, what does that mean? So turn to Romans chapter 6. A commentator said this, the more we believe God's fact about our position, the more this will actually affect our condition. So the more you believe the fact of what the scripture says, and Romans 6 is not just the only place, but if it says you have been dead and crucified to sin, then that is true. The more you think on that, that you are positionally free from sin, the more it will actually enable you to not sin. Does that make sense? The more you focus on your position in Christ, the more it affects your condition in life. But this is where I think people get confused. And I've danced around this for years at Establisher and asked multiple variations of this question. But some of y'all still think you're a sinner. And if you still think you're a sinner by nature, then what that says is that when you sin, you're just being who you are. Just being who you are. You're just stepping right in line with who you are. And when you don't sin and you obey God, man, that's a, that's a fluke. That's, wow, can't believe that. That is not what the scripture teaches. You were a sinner you are now, if you are in Christ, and he is in you, a what? A saint. Not a weird Catholic rosary Peter, but you are a saint based on scripture. I mean, I can't even go into how many verses talk about this. It's all over the place. Even how Paul addresses a lot of his letters, he writes them, names the people to the saints. It's like, well, I don't feel like a saint. Why do you say that? Because you base your behavior on your identity and your identity on your behavior, not basing it on what God says I am, who he says I am. If he says I am dead to sin, sin no longer has power over me. We're going to see it here in Romans 6. It was actually crucified and I have become a saint, then that is the truth, not what I feel or what I do. So this is a huge one. Um, 
Romans 6. Let's just start here. This, this passage is just unreal. Okay. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? No. May it never be. Verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It's an awesome question. I'm, I'm still asking that today. How, if you died to sin, can you still be living in sin? That doesn't work. Number three, or maybe you didn't know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, okay, we've been saved, have also been baptized into his death. And at the cross, he died, and he died to sin, rendering it powerless. Therefore, circle it, there it is again, because of that, we have been buried with him, y'all, through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I would circle that. Not better life. Not a better version of a reformed you. What kind of life are we going to walk in? brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The old has gone. You are an old creation. Now what? You are a new creation. Not a better version of who you are. Not a reformed version of Sarah just helped along with Jesus. No. She, her old is gone. The new has come. Newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, verse 5, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. So I would, I would ask you, do you know this? Verse 6, do you really know this? That your old self was crucified with him. Kind of crazy. We weren't born. It's weird. It's spiritual. But it really happened. If you place your faith in Christ, your old man, your old nature was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Do you feel freed from sin? Do you believe that? I hope, because the scripture says it. Verse 8, now if we have died with Christ... We believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer a master over him or us, for that matter. So here's, here's the thing. Just like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Ephesians 2.24 says it, Colossians 3.9-10 says it, your old person, what makes you you, your mind, your will, your emotions, your soul, your spirit, however you want to phrase that, when you placed your faith in Christ was united with him at the cross, meaning it died. Do dead men walk? No. Contrary to the popular movie. Do dead men sin? No. They're dead right? 
your old man, your nature, your identity, what made you you. This didn't die. I wasn't born yet. Okay, this, as you go on and read in Romans 7, our bodies have not yet been glorified. So sin lives in here. Otherwise known as I'm not perfect. I still sin. Does it have power over me? Is it my master? No. And when I sin, and when you sin, just think about this. Are you acting out of who you are? Or are you acting out of who you used to be? That changes everything. If you believe that when you sin, it is the fluke, you are acting out of character, not in line with it, then you get it. You understand this by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel that way, if you don't believe that way, and you don't get this concept that, wait a second, my nature, my identity was crucified with Christ, and therefore sin no longer has dominion over me. It lost its power. Didn't lose its presence. Sin is still present. We don't have to look too far to, to know that. It lost its power. So when you step into sin... Anything that is contrary to what he says, this would assume you have to know what he says. Got to be in this. You're stepping out of who you are in line with who you are. Does that make sense? And when you realize that, freedom happens. And you go, wow. You know what? The longer you journey with the Lord, the less you should have sin in your life. The, the, the shorter your leash should be, the shorter that little... A, you know, awareness should be of, Lord, that wasn't me. That was not me. I should not have said that or thought that or done that. That was not me because I am in you and you are in me and you would have said or thought this. I confess that. I thank you for your forgiveness and I walk in newness of life. Just that, that one with him, that easy, that free. And the more you walk with him, the more you better see freedom over sin in your life. Not a continuing pattern, not living in sin continually. Yes? Sin is a big word, but it's very real. And anything that is not in line with this, y'all, is sin. This is not Southern Baptist talk. This is just real life. And it, it, it burdens me when some people use their freedom as a license to sin. That is not understanding freedom. And that is actually being completely enslaved. Because what does that say? Who still has dominion over you? Sin. Not Christ. And you might be a believer. You genuinely might be a believer. But you are clueless about this identity truth. You are, you are not living in the reality that he bought for you. And so all of a sudden, man, I mean, we could name a million things. I mean, fear is a sin. Y'all realize worry is a sin. I mean, that should just shut us all down because we've all been there. Anxiety, just, you know, control. I mean, blah, 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 blah. You name it, it's all there. Okay, well, does that have power over you? No. Does it have presence in your life? Sure. Still breathes and lives around here. My body is not perfect. So as Paul calls it, this is the, 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 sin, this is the sin in my members, in my body. And I'm accosted with it all the time. 
But am I subjecting myself under its power again by entertaining it and feeling it and just taking it on? Man, I'm depressed and I'm anxious and I'm angry and I'm fearful and I am all these things. That talk begins to characterize your behavior. And what it does is it, is it begins to whisper to you, which is a lie, this is who you are. In your good days, whatever that means, your obedient days, well, that's, that's just, that's, wow, can't believe you stepped out and, and did that thing, because that's not really you. That is so reversed. And this is such a deep theological thing, y'all, but it is so practical that if you don't understand this truth, your Christianity will be pretty screwed up because you will live like a slave your whole life. You will never come into your sonship. And the more you come into your sonship, the less sin has presence over you and, and power over you. And frankly, the less sin is really even around you because the more you're made into his image and you want to, to step in line with this, you want to have this. This is freedom. This is not law. And that's the characteristic of someone who understands the character of God is when they align their life with this and they get freedom, they get it. When people see this and go, uh, that's, that's legalism, that's law, that's rules, that's weird. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. And you haven't really fully experienced his freedom then. So the old nature is gone. Um, listen to this little quote. It doesn't mean we're freed from ever sinning again. It means we're freed from its dominating power. One can only have one master. I can live my life in such dependence upon the Spirit of God that the flesh does not get away with its way for extended periods of time. Thanks be to the power of God that I can be on the side of victory more often than not as I walk in newness. That's someone who's free, is experiencing victory over fear, victory over whatever the sin is that might try to easily entangle you. Hebrews 12, chapter 1, right? Or chapter 12, verse 1. Whatever is trying to entangle you and enslave you, you can step out of that and say, wait a second, my nature is new. My identity is new and you don't have power over me. I don't have to say yes to you. I'm not going to live that way because the Spirit of God is fueling me and I am in line with him and I'm more free than I ever, ever been. That's powerful. Um, <clears throat> freedom in Christ is not the right to do as one pleases, but the power to please God by doing what is right. Free to do as one pleases, but the power to please God by doing what is right. And he states what's right in here. Galatians 5.13 is, is another verse that you can just write down that says you were called to freedom, but do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. It's kind of the idea of your freedom is just a license to do whatever you want. But use it 
to serve one another. Listen to this quote. This is a guy named Pritchard. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. You don't have to be down and under anymore. Your old dumb sins over and over again can be eradicated. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ has already previously once and for all set you free. Therefore, if you choose to dwell in sin, if you choose to remain defeated and give in, it's because you're choosing that way, not because you're, you must live that way. It's huge. Number three, quickly, self, freed from self. Go read the story about King Asa. It's pretty awesome. But I'm going to sum it up as this. We are freed from ever trusting ourselves again. So self-distrust is the greatest evidence of freedom here. The more you distrust you, the more free you are. The more you distrust you, the more you trust the Savior. The more you stop putting expectations and weight on how you navigate what you think this says, how you think you're supposed to live, all this self, 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 the more he gets rid of that in you, the more free you are as a believer. And this was a big one for me in, in my walk with the Lord because I, I have a strong will and I can live in very much in myself, right or wrong. And and the Lord just said, Sarah, I didn't just free you from sin and in the, the big sins, right? The external ones that are kind of no-brainers, but also the internal ones. I freed you from you. Like, Sarah, that's big for you. Like, that was kind of bigger for me than sin. Because I, at some points, was my own God. And I, at some points, was my own imprisoner. I, I was kind of love and hate for myself a lot of times in my life. Set you free from all that. You're free from you. You're free from ever trusting yourself ever again. You can trust me and me alone. And the more you do that, the less you will have bondage in your life. There's a verse, Philippians 2.12, just write it down. Uh, it's the one that talks about working out your salvation in fear and trembling. And I like this because it basically said this idea of self-distrust is in this verse, and it can be kind of phrased as a tenderness of conscience, a vigilance against temptation, a heightened ability to walk away from you, a fear that inspires anything opposing God, even if it's thinking highly of yourself. You're more fearful of thinking highly of yourself because it opposes God when you're free in this area. And there's a verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, that says we are not to be high-minded or thinking higher of yourself than you ought because you'll fall. And so I think for believers, this is where incredible freedom comes in. Y'all, we don't have to think about ourselves ever again, one way or the other, good or bad. Self is removed from the equation. Praise be to God. It's Christ awareness. 
It's Christ's sufficiency. It's Christ's thought, not self-sufficiency, self-dependence, self-awareness, blah, 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 which again, countercultural, kind of weird. World doesn't get this. Self-image. Okay, well, if you're, if you're a believer, what is it? It's Christ's image. It's not self-image. He's removed self from the equation and set you free. Um, I love Jeremiah 10, 13. It, it's a verse. I'll just have to read it to you really quickly because it's a really interesting way it says it. But it's the idea that there is nothing in us that knows how to live. There's nothing in ourself that is right. Um, let's see. Sorry, no, it's, it's actually verse 23. I know, O Lord, not, thir- not 13, 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his own steps. So correct me, O Lord. That, I love that prayer of Jeremiah in verse 23 because it's not in me. It's not in myself. There's nothing in my Jesus. And that's Old Testament. And he even kind of got that. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. Correct me, O Lord. Love that. Um, A.W. Tozer. It is important that we understand how dangerous it is to trust our good habits. Only God can bring us to the point of understanding that our strength is indeed our weakness. Anything that we rely on or trust in can be our very undoing. We do not realize how weak we are until the Holy Spirit begins exposing where our focus lies. The more you're focused on you, the weaker you are in not a good way. The the more slaved you are. The more you focus on Christ and who he is and who he is in you, the more free you become. It's incredible. Um, Turn with me real quick to John 8. This is an interesting passage. and um, John 8, starting in verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So let me just stop right there. He is about to ream these people out, and they believe him. He is not talking necessarily to completely lost people. He's talking to Jews who had believed him. But now let's hear what he says. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. These people, verse 33, they answered him. "Um, We're Abraham's offspring and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Y'all know who these people he's talking to were the people that were known as the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These were the religious know everything, self-righteous, I got, I know what all this stuff says. 
And what they never realized is they were enslaved to all of that and they were the least free. And Jesus comes in and basically says, you can claim me, but if you don't abide in me and stay in me and continue with me, you're not really my disciple. This is a bunch of words. It's a bunch of verbal stuff. Your heart is far from me. And you can't even see how enslaved you are. You are not free. So Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin, okay, that would include everyone, is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So it even goes back to what we said, right? The permanency of a slave, there isn't any. He, he gets kicked out. But the permanency of a son is forever. If therefore, verse 36, the son makes you free, you will be free. These people were Jewish in every way. They were claiming who they were based on who they knew. Abraham. And sometimes I've heard people kind of say this, even in their testimonies, well, my parents were believers. I was raised Christian. Hmm, okay. But when did it become you? Because it's not about who you know. It's not about Abraham. But, well, I mean, we're Abraham's offspring. Like, we know everything. We're not enslaved. We're already free. So who are you, Jesus, to tell us we need your freedom? And he's basically saying, well, you've never been set free because the Son hasn't set you free. Capital S. Because if the Son sets you free, then you're going to be free indeed, and you'll never leave my house. And the point here is that our knowledge of God is not the same thing as our intimacy with him. You can have knowledge about him and not be free by him. And that is a painful, scary thing. And I pray so much for people to not just know God, but to know him, to intimately know him and be freed by him, not caught up in your information about him. And Jesus kind of calls them out again, verse 37, oh, I know that you're Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. These are the very people that ended up crucifying him. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. He was making a point that your faith has got to be genuine and it has to be continuing. It has to be rooted in his word, in Jesus not in who you know or who's around you or what your coattails you claim because that won't keep you in the house and it won't make you free. This is what makes you free. The mark of genuine faith is not just mental or verbal profession that you believe, but a continuance and an abiding in every word that comes from his mouth. This is not the condition for getting and know this to get saved. It's the evidence that you are saved. It's powerful.
True freedom comes from knowing Christ through genuine faith and abiding in his word. A believing and a continuing exhibit true freedom. So my question would be, do you make your home here? Or do you visit as a guest? Because if you visit as a guest, the word of God, you will never understand his heart. You will never fully walk in the ways he has for you, which are liberating ways. And your freedom will be very misconceived. But if you make your home here, which is really all that word means, is to abide. It means to dwell. means to stay with, to make your home. So if you make your home in here, because Jesus is the living word and the written word. So you make your home with him. You align your life with him. You will never be more free. You will be amazed at the liberty that you will experience, not the law. You'll be amazed at the yeses you'll know, not the noes. And I think when people misconstrue God's character, they, they hear him as a God of no. And someone who's free knows him as a God of yes. That he has so much more available for you, so much more he wants for you. Doesn't want more from you, he wants more for you. And he wants to give us freedom, like true freedom, understood, true, released freedom. Um, so I kind of want to take a few minutes and just have y'all do whatever's comfortable, whether it's closing your eyes or maybe it's journaling, but I would encourage you not to because I think we talk a lot and we write a lot, but Jesus wants to talk back. And sometimes we've got to make space for that and just, just not take notes on what he says um, and so I would just encourage you just to sit and quiet your heart quiet your mind this is a discipline this is hard harder for some of us than others but quiet your spirit quiet your mind and I'm just gonna play a quick two-minute little song um, but ask ask Jesus I don't know where you are with him to reveal if you're really free. And if you're not really free, then ask him to show you where you have been enslaved, where you've misconstrued freedom. Maybe the freedom you've used has done damage to his name, and it's not true freedom. Maybe it's done damage to you. But let him minister to you. Um, and then I'll, I'll come back and I'll, I'll close this in prayer and say a couple last things here.